Today in the podcast, we talked to someone who was fired from her job for posting a video about how Christians should approach the Black Lives Matter movement. We get into that. Also, uh, James Lindsay, he is a guy who is uh, an academic and has uncovered just incredible bias in the world of science and research. He goes into his new understanding of racism, systemic racism, institutional racism, and the differences. Uh, ben Dominich from the uh, Federalist comes on. Uh, he is, his site was threatened to lose its revenue from Google News because I guess it was too hateful. In fact, the comment section was apparently hateful, which is a bizarre thing. And Mrs. Butterworth on the chopping block. We've already lost Aunt Jemima. That happened today. Uh, now Mrs. Butterworth is the next one in the target. We'll get into that all on today's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast if you're not already subscribed. Uh, you can rate and review it as well. Five stars being the most appropriate amount of stars, uh, as well as signing up for Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn for 10 bucks off. We'll say Wednesday night. It's the best night. We've got uh, Stu Does America live at 8 p.m. Eastern. And then Glenn Beck Television, live at 9 p.m. Eastern. Lots of great stuff on The Blaze. Make sure to subscribe as well. Now here's the podcast. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. By the way, let me just uh, start with the uh, French president, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, Macron uh, announced yesterday, quote, we will be inflexible when it comes to tackling racism, anti-Semitism and discrimination. And new strong decisions will be made to reinforce the equality of chances. But this noble fight is perverted when it turns into communitarianism and into false rewriting of history. This is unacceptable. I will tell you very clearly tonight, my dear fellow citizens, the Republic will not erase any trace or any name from its history. It will not forget any of its deeds or take down any statues. Now, I'd just like to point out, this is France! The world's pansies. They're taking a stand. Good heavens, American men, where have you gone? France is shaming us. France! France! They'll surrender to a squirt gun. They're taking a stand. Meanwhile, in California, they're removing finally... Finally, the statue of Columbus and Queen Isabella from the rotunda of the Capitol. It's only taken them like 138 years. That thing has just been screaming racism for 138 years. And they're just getting around. Well, I want you to know, California, I still don't forgive you. I still don't forget. You take down that racist statue from your return. You go ahead and and erase what those white people in Spain did. Okay? What those Spaniards, which were very white. You can erase it, but you will never erase my memory of your racist erasing of racism. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) It's <laughs> a good thing Macron wasn't around here because he would, well, he'd actually, no, he wouldn't be on your side. Gosh, darn it. Whoever thought we would look at a French president and go, well, he's got balls. Uh, Stu, welcome to the program. I notice you're uh, unusually quiet. Don't want to get, uh, don't want to get involved in <laughs> any of this, do you? <laughs> Sounds like a terrible idea. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. So I'd like to invite you in on this one. PepsiCo has uh, just announced that Aunt Jemima is racist and uh, they are going to no longer. Well, they're going to make the syrup. They're just going to put it into, I don't know, maybe a maybe a bottle shaped like me. Uh, and uh, you can pour your syrup out of my head. Uh, <laughs> maybe. And I would take that. Colonel Sanders I have been saying to KFC, I am Colonel Sanders. Look at me for the love of Pete. You are. You put a bucket in my hand and a white suit and a little bolo tie, and I am Colonel Sanders. 
and I love fried chicken. But they won't let me be the spokesperson, so I'm offering my services to PepsiCo that they can make a syrup bottle in my shape. It, there's a lot of room for syrup, <laughs> and I and I know it's like the jumbo family size. It's only available at and, Costco for sure. Right, mm-hmm. right, and you can pour the syrup right out of my head. There you go, and uh, that's great. <laughs> I can't. Believe, so I'm glad the people is Pepsi just understanding this or like they've had this product for a very long time it was created in Mm -hmm. 1889 so i don't know i would say by today's standards literally everyone on the planet who was on who was on the planet in 1889 was probably racist by today's standards so any product from those days would be something we'd have to eliminate right away maybe we should just start deleting and changing all the names of every products every two or three years that way we never run into this Mm. problem again I look. Well, I, I don't think we should name it after anybody. We don't shouldn't name anything after anybody or build any statue unless they're, uh, you know, unless they're BLM activists. You know, <laughs> right? And I, I'm sure, I'm sure the BLM activists would be fine having syrup poured out of their head, you know, and and help Pepsi sell products. I'm sure they would be happy with that. Oh, I'm sure they would. I, I just can't understand mm. the reaction to this. I, the idea that a product that's been around since 1889 needs to go away now because people are protesting someone who was murdered by a police officer like these these things uh, don't Stu, connect they just they're removing a statue have you seen the statue of Isabella and and mm-hmm. Columbus yeah. Uh, yeah it's enormous it's enormous Incredible. I, you know, I have to tell you, I would I would love to tell you the story of the Capitol in Washington, D.C. and and something a story that most people don't know. But I honestly thought about it today when I read that. I thought about telling that story. I'm like, oh, you want I'm never going to tell that story. I'm never going to tell that story because it will it will absolutely move. Uh, it will move us into. People will say the Washington D.C. Capitol needs to be changed. What? Yeah, no, it's true. Did you? They're just changing everything. Did you see the uh, situation with uh, Bob Odenkirk and David Cross, uh, the two comedians? So I love these guys. Yeah, I mean, hate me, but I love them. (laughs) Mister Show with Bob and David was on HBO back in the nineties. The the greatest sketch comedy show of all time, in my opinion, of all time, in the correct opinion. Um, and they brought it back for Netflix for a few episodes. By the way, by the way, mm-hmm. Stu will be rounding anybody up and chopping their heads off uh, if you disagree with that. Anything uh, that we say, have yeah. little different standards mm-hmm. than the uh, the, the regular uh, protesters. We're just about movies, entertainment, and comedy. These are the sorts of things that we can implement in our new autonomous zone that we're putting together. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But uh, so there is a uh, a sketch comedy show called Mister Show with Bob and David. They brought it back on Netflix. In 2015, for like three or four episodes, it's kind of like a you know, throwback to it. And in one of the sketches, and it's funny how fast these things turn, but in one of the sketches, there is a parody of basically like a libertarian YouTuber. Remember, this was a thing for a while where like libertarian YouTubers would go out like by police and they would film themselves and they would kind of be antagonistic and keep saying things like, look, it's my right. If you, 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 you have no right to ask me what my name is and you have no right to ask me to roll my window down and you have no right to take right, my documents. Right. I'm a free citizen. Uh, the right. state law says, you know, like that whole thing. So they're parodying that phenomenon, which is funny because to parody that phenomenon, you have to make the police officers look really nice and understanding, which is the exact opposite of what how they are portrayed today by entertainment. But so they go through this whole sketch, and he goes through like a a, um, a checkpoint, a you know DUI checkpoint, and he keeps trying to antagonize the cop, and the cop's just like, "You didn't do anything wrong." Like he's totally playing along and not caring about what all of these like crazy things he's trying to antagonize him into. He wants to get himself filmed being. Uh, a victim of police brutality yeah. and can't get it to happen mm-hmm. is essentially the sketch. So he goes mm-hmm. through like five or six times. Finally, on the last time, he decides to put on blackface and go through as a black man, right? And as he goes through, then the white cop sees him, comes over, he's, he's like, is this the guy that's been coming through all these times and starts spray, spraying him with pepper spray and drags him out of the car and beats him up on the ground. Now, there's a bunch of points being made and it's also just funny, but one of the very fair points you could make from this sketch 
is that he's saying black people get treated worse by cops than white people. Yeah. Right. And white Correct. cops are, are the ones doing it, which is essentially mm-hmm. exactly what Black Lives Matter is saying today. Right. Like it's exactly their Correct. point. Netflix Correct. has announced because David Cross is wearing blackface in the sketch, they're deleting the sketch from the series. Like, wait, he's making the well, same that's better. point. I mean, that's better. Look, the, those guys are so left. You know, sure. they are. They're always lecture, lecturing there. And these guys will say, oh, well, they're just canceling that sketch. We apologize for that sketch. We shouldn't have done that sketch. Now, the they're pretty place. pissed off. And about they'll it, actually it mean like, it. They're, they're, pretty, they're pretty pissed off about it. Bob and David. They're like, oh. we made these decisions intentionally. Like we did not. You know, good for you. Like they stood up for their material, which they should. Again, like what is the problem with blackface? It's not the paint. Right, it's not the makeup color. The problem with blackface is the motivation behind it. I brought up an example actually last night on Stu Does America, Glenn, and it was you were the one that made me think of it. Is because I remember going to your house and watching you burn American flags, and it's like holy crap! Like I don't want to burn American flags. That's a terrible thing. That's against America. We don't want that to happen. I want to cancel you for doing that. Well, when you actually, it's not the burning of the flag that's the problem. It's the motivation behind the act. When you look at the motivation behind the act, you would say, Glenn, it was a, an official retirement ceremony of a flag done with military and police from around your area. To uh, do you remember the ceremony? You know, do you remember what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, we had the we had the we had the Connecticut Police Honor Guard. Yeah, uh, and their job, part of their job, is doing ceremonial retirements of flags. And so we looked it up and did exactly what we were supposed to do. This is in the days before Facebook and social media, mm-hmm. so nobody's ever seen it um, except the people that were there. And it was a very I, th- I actually have thought about doing it this uh, this uh, year uh at fourth of july and do carry it on on facebook yeah because i don't think people have seen it I, and, and it's say, very respectful it makes you feel a little weird though i mean you're seeing a flag burn but then you realize because you're an adult you think it through and you say well this is actually the appropriate ceremony and how the honor guard does it it's the same yeah. thing with this sketch blackface yes it can be used for a hundred million bad reasons and of course you should never do it because you're definitely going to get fired but the motivation was to parody racism it was to degrade racism doesn't that even count we, we're not even adults enough to understand the motivation behind a message it's pathetic is it not uh yeah it is this is the best of the glenn beck program did you hear the story of the guy in California that was just driving down the street and he was in the, you know, California gas and electric truck or whatever the hell it is. And um, and he has his hand out and he's cracking his knuckles. And as he's cracking his first knuckle, he kind of makes the he kind of makes the peace sign or the uh, OK sign, which we all know is racist, which is not racist, which was it, it was it was started as a meme and it was started by, wasn't it started by like 4chan people that yeah. were making fun and saying, let's try to make everybody believe. Yep. So it's not even racist. It was a, it, it was it's a joke. It was, it was a, trying it was to a show what sheep America's are, Americans are. Yeah. So he's cracking his knuckles. Well, somebody takes a picture of it and said, oh my gosh, look at this racist making, <laughs> making this racist hand sign. Why would you, do, I mean, this anyway, he loses his job. He then uh, has the person uh, who who wrote this said, I didn't mean for him to lose his job. I mean, I I may have I may have been wrong about that. And he says, you were wrong about it. I was cracking my knuckles. Now, he's a Hispanic guy. So the person that filed the not even the complaint, just social media. Hey, what's going on? That person has said, I no, I was wrong. I was wrong. It wasn't a racist thing. The gas company will not hire him back. He wants his job back. I don't know why he wants his job back. We called to see if he ever would get his job back, and they doubled down. The first national interview with him is coming up on tomorrow's program. You don't want to miss it. Uh, it is, it's an unbelievable story, but this is happening everywhere. Um, uh, Reagan S. Day, who is a Turning Point USA ambassador, also a, a Christian, uh, she made a video 
and she was talking about why BLM is is not a Christian movement. This is not the way Christ would want us to do things. Well, my gosh, somebody in her office saw how offensive that was. And within 15 minutes, she lost her job. We have Reagan on the phone with us. Hello, Reagan. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you? Good. So, Reagan, were you named after Ronald Reagan? You know, it's funny. My nickname growing up was Reaganomics. My mom called me that, and I still answer to it to this day. I don't know really? if what she named me after, but my nickname definitely um, is attributed to him. Uh, okay. So, uh, Reagan, what did you say that was so horrible? And, and uh, Sarah, please be ready on the edit button. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, I was really... Mr. Beck, I was addressing the evangelical church, um, seeing the way Christian pastors and leaders have been um, just twisting the the true gospel of the Bible and and making this social gospel narrative um, was really upsetting and sad to me because I feel like it's very misleading to believers. And so I posted a video discussing um, the Black Lives Matter organization, what it stands for, and why Christians should be focusing on the gospel, which ultimately reconciles hearts and, and fixes the sin problem of racism, um, exactly rather right. than that, rather than calling for action and, and um, you know, focusing on ra- racial reconciliation and, and things that are, are not of Christ. Well, there's no reconciliation with with BLM and this movement. There is no racial recognition. There's there is beg for forgiveness, but you can't really even know what you're sorry for because you don't know what you're guilty for because you're white Um, and you have to go through them for forgiveness. And there is no forgiveness, as I just pointed out. The problem with that is the only one that can truly grant forgiveness is God um, you're coming in because you're white with original sin. Well, that goes against we, we don't hold people responsible for what their fathers or their great grandfathers did at any time. God doesn't hold people responsible. He holds you as an individual and never a collective. This social justice garbage that is being shoveled by many of our churches uh, is just that garbage and an affront to God. When man declares there's an original sin that you have to pay for because of what somebody else did 150 years ago, and there is no real forgiveness for you because you're white or black or yellow or orange, it doesn't matter, that's an affront to God. And I don't know why churches aren't getting this. Yeah. I definitely agree. And I think, I think too, Mr. Beck, um, there has been a Trojan horse of social justice within the church for a very long time. And I think, um, you know, after the George Floyd incident, things have come to their peak. And so the church is kind of in a place where if they don't address this, um, it would be an injustice to congregants, it would appear. Um, but it's a shame, really, that the church has drifted so far from teaching theology that they have to, you know, as Scripture says, tickle the ears of those willing to listen. And they have to call for worldly virtuousness over spiritual righteousness. And it's just a dangerous line to walk. Um, I think you have a, a congregation of people who come to church on Sunday to hear the gospel and walk away in worship, but many church leaders are sharing a motivational speech with Scripture sprinkled in so that congregants walk away with a worldly call to action, um, which ultimately does not save. So you, the reaction uh, when you posted this, you, you didn't think you'd get any blowback, or did you? Um, I don't think I expected to get as much as I got. Um, most of my my following on social media is Christian conservatives who, who very much, you know, hold the same beliefs I do. Um, so I really was speaking to them. I did not expect it. Uh, and, you know, obviously social media reaches everyone, <laughs> but I didn't mm-hmm. expect it to blow up the way that it did. And so, um, I mean, I got backlash, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I got backlash probably for a solid 24 to 48 hours. And it just, it was a lot, but um, I think it's something people needed to hear. So I, I, I haven't taken so it down. You, and... you lost your job because somebody in your office uh, saw this post and said, you are a racist and need to be terminated. And with 50, within 15 minutes, I'm told, you were in the office of the boss and they were talking about you and your job. True? 
Well, so it was actually an ex-employee, so someone that I actually used to work with, and um, she made a post and called me racist, homophobic, and she tagged my employer. Um, So, of course, then, you know, the mob on social media knows where I work now. (laughs) And so they made calls in to the company, made death threats to the owners, and um, it I don't really know how bad it was. I know they had to get law enforcement involved to patrol the area and protect the building. Mm. Um, And it just it just blows my mind that that's that's the the way we're going. So when you were brought in and you heard this, I know you didn't want anything to happen to anybody else. Um, Were they were they angry with you or what? What was their reaction? Was it like we got to get the mob off our back? Well, I think I think they were. So I first they first called me because I've I've been working ho- at home due to the, all the COVID um, regulations, mm-hmm. and so they called me and yeah. said, you know, it's been brought to our attention about this social media post. We're going to put you on paid suspension until we complete an investigation. And so I kind of was just all day, you know, heart rate kind of going high and uh, not really sure what to expect. And then by five p.m. that day, they called me back and said. You know, due to the measures we've had to take, we've come to the conclusion we have to terminate your employment. And I think it was something that they they didn't want to do, um, and, and I, I could kind of hear that in their voice. But it was one of those things where they, they said, felt like their hands were tied. They said you resigned. Yes, they did. <laughs> um, and that's a whole other thing. Uh, we on the phone they offered me the option to resign, and, and I said, you know, I appreciate that option, and. Uh, I guess that they took that as a commitment. And so, and actually an hour later I called back and said, you know, I've made my decision. I'd prefer to be terminated. Um, but my separation notice does not say that. So, <laughs> right. Right. So would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of, the way things have gone down, you know, I, I feel like, and I, I don't have hard feelings towards the company I worked for at all. I mean, they have always been wonderful and taking care of me, but I do feel like this could have gone a completely different way. Um, I feel like they, they, they could have fired me and done what they did, or they could have protected me and, you know, pressed charges on those making threats because those really were the people in the wrong. Um, and so, you know, looking back, it's like, I don't think I wouldn't change anything I did. I said what I said. I still stand by what I said to this day. Um, and if and if the if an employer, you know, is willing to let me go because of something I posted, not on company time, you know, not related to the company, I, mm-hmm. I don't. It just kind of has solidified for me the the fact that it's it's I would it's not more, it's not worth my time. Reagan, um, you are. Uh... I think the first person I've talked to um, that has has actually uh, lived the scripture of, of he who will lose his life uh, for my sake will gain his life. You are the, you're the first person that I uh, think I've talked to, Stu, correct me if I'm wrong, that has actually fit that scripture. And you've had the bravery enough, uh, you've been brave enough to stand up against the mob and say, I'm sorry, but the Lord would say this. And that is a big deal. There's a lot of cowards out there, many of us. And I, you know, I have been pushed to the wall, but I have not been pushed to the wall like even you have. Um, I don't think um, nobody's threatened. To, well, no, <laughs> I take that back anyway. But you you really fit that scripture. And uh, congratulations. Congratulations. Keep it up. Thank you. You bet. Yeah, I- the whole time all this was going on, I just kept thinking of John 15, where Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Um, yeah. And, and as Christians, we're expected perse- ex- expected to have persecution. We're, we're guaranteed persecution, as a matter of fact. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, the worldly reaction isn't really a surprise to me. I think what was a surprise to me were the number of people that I knew and grew up with who said they were Christians and who have, you know, studied scripture and i've been to church with them and and they still they have have fallen for this social justice gospel yeah reagan thank you very much uh reagan sq day uh i will tell you the same thing that i said in 2000 i think nine if you're going to a church and they're talking about social justice uh you need to you need to do one of two things uh either run for your life 
or make your first stop your pastor's uh, office or your priest's office and say, what do you mean by social justice? Uh, there is no such thing as collective salvation. There is no such thing as uh, uh, the redemptive power of the whole. There is no such thing. I mean, it's amazing to me, the people who argue faith versus works over and over and over and over and over and over again will actually be the same people who are fighting for social justice. That's an affront to God. When someone says there is no forgiveness for this sin, which you didn't commit, you're asking to be to, to bow down to an altar of a false god. And um, I stand by what I said 11 years ago on social justice. It is it is something that has been misconstrued. It started out as a good thing, I think, started out as a good thing. Some people still are convinced that it means just help the poor, etc. It does not mean that anymore. And you need to know it and study it and get away from it. When I say study it, you better hurry, because all of our history, our dictionaries, everything are being changed as we speak. You need to keep a diary on what is true and what you know, and do not go over the cliff with the rest of humanity. I want to say something to you real quick. Jeez, uh, I don't have time. I, I just I want you to be here with me on July 2nd. On July 2nd, we are going to be doing something that I think is um, – it's very reminiscent of the 912 project show that we did and I want you to gather your friends and I want you to I want you to watch it with your family and your church. It's very very important. We are going to make it. We are going to survive this. But only if good men and women begin to stand up and stand together. Father's Day is getting closer. Have you been hinting uh, about gifts at all or thinking about, you know, what to give to dad? Why not do a Father's Day up in style and get a Rectech grill? We as a family are cooking a lot on our Rectech at my house, and I've been thrilled with it ever since I got one. It's sturdy, it's sleek, it's built like a tank. It's smart grilling technology because I am the dumbest griller alive. I have, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching master griller. I used to burn everything. And on top of that, I can control it from an app. You don't have to get off the couch to start it up and get it ready. No doubt about it, it's Rectech Grills. Rectech, they're the best Father's Day present you can buy. And right now, Rectech is running a contest to give one away. You can enter today for your chance to win the same grill that I use with Rectech's Father's Day contest. RectechGrills.com. That's R-E-C-T-E-C, grills with an S, dot com. That's RectechGrills.com slash Beck. RectechGrills with an S, dot com slash Beck. You're listening to the best of the Glenn Beck program. James Lindsay. He is the author of Cynical Theories. He's also the co-founder of New Discourses. Uh, and he has been uh, causing quite a storm uh, with some of his latest writings and tweets on the cult dynamic of wokeness. Uh, he, you know of, you know of him because, uh, he was, um, one of those guys that, uh, of the three, uh, scientists, including, uh, Helen, uh, Pluckrose that, that, uh, put together these, uh, peer reviewed scientific papers, uh, and show that the peer review process was garbage. If you use the right language, he's taking it a step further now, not trying to dupe anybody. He's just, uh, explaining why wokeness is a cult and he's here with us now to do that james how are you i'm good how are you well i'm wondering how you think you're going to survive this <laughs> one day at a time i think yeah so um you know I, I i've been following your tweets and been reading uh your articles on newdiscourses.com and You've come to the same conclusion that I have, uh, that this is absolutely a cult and, and a new religion uh, that everyone is, is apparently jumping on the bandwagon for. 
and I wanted you to take us through uh, your your thinking on uh, cults. And I think, what do you have, uh, five, five different points on uh, the cults? And it, it starts with cult uh, initiation. So talk to me yeah, generally yeah. about what brought you here, and then let's get into the initiation. Okay, so... Several years ago, like you said, the the social justice movement, as it sometimes gets called, or wokeness, my colleagues and I noticed probably as early as 2013 that it's definitely got very religious undertones. And in fact, in 2014, 15, and so on, we started to develop those ideas. And in 2018, we started to go public with them. So we spent some time really looking into it. And so in early 2018, we did a talk, a public talk at Portland State University, uh, is intersectionality a religion? And we laid out some big parallels. We talked about how, for those of you out there listening that have a theological background, it has an Augustinian framework under it. it. It's based off of a very, you know, confessional model. You have to confess your original sin of racism and, and oppression and all of this. So we laid that out. Then I, I wrote an article in late 2018 in great detail, very long. 15,000 words explaining how it really is a religious movement. And like all religions, certain heretical cults can spawn within them. And so now we're facing what appears to be a very cult-like set of behaviors. And like you said, the, I lay out three points that lead into a cult, and then there's two more points that talk about what a cult looks like and how you get out of it. And so the first stage coming into a cult is initiation. Um, the second stage is indoctrination, and the third stage is reprogramming. So just to kind of give the map there. Uh, it's a slow process. It's gradual. It's not like, you know, somebody snaps their fingers and now you're in a cult. You don't, like, go to the grocery store, talk to the wrong person, and the next day, you know, you're wearing a funny uniform and handing over your mm-hmm. kids or something. It's a slow process. This has been... It's a very- and this is oh, this has been a very slow this has been a very slow process um in our society starting really with the PC movement. So it doesn't necessarily start out bad. Um although I thought PC was was pretty bad, but uh it it played on our better selves to be to be better and we have slowly been uh boiled here to the point to where now you can look at the world and say how is this changing so fast? This is exactly there's right. a lot of people now in this cult, right? That's exactly right. There are a lot of people who are either in the cult, probably somewhere between five and 10 percent of the country is actually, you know, in the cult, which is that's a lot of people. And it's, it's a tens lot of millions of people. And then there are many people beyond that who, you know, much like you would have like a with a religion, you have people who are really into it. And then you have people who just kind of go to church sometimes. Right. So you have mm-hmm. these these social justice people who just kind of, you know, they know the language, they have the kind of, you know, the moral impulse, but they're not really studying it. They're not deep into it. And now those people who are closer to it, who had some of the ideas, who had taken up some of it, they're getting it full blast. And what happens in that cult initiation process is they start to full blast hit you with emotional vulnerability. They try to make you feel emotionally vulnerable. In this case, they're telling people, Our whole society is racist. Racism is terrible. And you're complicit in that. You have helped everybody be racist. You have made these terrible things like, you know, these claims about how how black people are being are are being shot by police every day, which aren't true. But that's what they call their lived experience. Um, (laughs) You're complicit in that. That's what they tell people. So it creates an opening of emotional vulnerability. And the initiation process begins by creating and, and inflaming that vulnerable place and then sticking the cult doctrine in to make you feel better. So you'll take it up. So now did, so did we play into the initiation process in our own selves by allowing people to uh, say that the whole country is racist and, and us kind of sitting here going, well, it's not, but I see their point on this and this. Did we kind of ease the or grease the grease the rails here for them? Uh, yes and no. I don't think it's really fair to say that that we did too much of that. But I will stick a couple of institutions or maybe three with um, a lot of a lot of blame on this because they didn't 
they didn't try to say, okay, I see your point. Let's be reasonable. It's not, but they didn't do that kind of like, let me hear you out perspective, which I think is totally fair and reasonable from anybody. You have our universities, you have our mm-hmm. uh, schools, and you have a lot of the, as, as you know, it often gets phrased, mainstream journalism, the media that have all taken this stuff on whole hog. The media did it because it gets clicks. Hot takes get clicks. They get, they get views. They get ratings. Lots of people pay attention. So it's kind of a perverse incentive there. The education program in the universities did it, however, because first, they didn't have the, the guts to stand up to this crackpot theory that it all comes from. I've dedicated the last several years of my life to studying this crackpot theory under this cult. And they didn't stand up to it when they should have. They didn't stop it when it was rising up. The last time anybody really tried to fight these ideas and what's called critical race theory in the academic literature was in the 1990s. They just kind of folded and let it go because they didn't want to be called racist. That's basically how this thing works. Is it, it doesn't really have any arguments. It's, it's cases are very weak. It does have a point each time. It makes a point. And people say, oh, I see how you see that. Let's hear about it. But they, it's really like the, the worst possible way to analyze it. And then all these academics didn't stand up to it because they would get called racist. And then there maybe would be a department review. The next thing you know, we had a Supreme Court case and it started installing these diversity offices, which gave it administrative power. And the universities basically just folded. And what happens in the university five to 10 years later happens in culture. So here we are, you know, five to 10 years, 20 years later, and it's everywhere. So when we're going through the initiation stage, the reason why we're susceptible to this is because we do want to do the right thing. Like, you know, when somebody says, look, you you're you're on the side of racists. Nobody wants to be on the side of racists. Um, and you can't even understand uh, how you're racist. Just help us dismantle the system. We're building a better world here that appeals to us. And so that's we kind of can half-heartedly get into the front door like that? That's exactly right. And that's, I mean, I don't like to usually use words like this, but that's why this is actually an evil cult. That's why I'd be, I would say, more of a cult than a religion. And it's because it's playing upon people's best instincts to turn into something different. It's telling you, no, we just want to get rid of racism. But that's not true. They write on almost every page of their literature that they want a radical overhaul of the whole system that gets rid of liberal freedoms. They, they say it explicitly. They do not just want to get rid of racism because they believe the first pillar of this theory that's called critical race theory is that racism is the ordinary state of affairs in American society. That's the first idea that they have. So the only way to get rid of racism when they say we just want to get rid of racism is to completely tear down the entire system that we have back to the Constitution and build a new one that they've wanted to socially engineer for us. And it's evil because they play on our best instincts. They lie to us. And I I mean that they lie to us about what the word racism means, what the word white supremacy means, and they manipulate our emotions. They play upon our, our, our willingness to do the right thing and then turn it into something completely different. And I wish I was exaggerating. And like, like you said, you know, nobody wants to be associated with racism. So they have this cultural nuclear weapon that calling somebody a racist. I mean, you look at any example you want. Now there are so many, you can't even pick one to just hone in on where people are losing their jobs because somebody on the internet called them racist. So you can ruin somebody's life with one accusation of racism. And then this cult tactic has ideas like white fragility, has this weird definition of racism, weird definition of anti-racism, so that if they call you a racist and you deny it, now all of a sudden that's proof that you're a racist. That's literally a witch trial. So, James, um, I'm going to come back. i got to take a one-minute break for a sponsor. But um, uh, the other thing that they have going for them, you said they have a nuclear weapon. The other nuclear weapon that they have is the media and culture nobody wants to be an outsider everybody wants to be in the cool kid club and if they call you a racist you're way on the outs of all of society um but then also there's this reward that you're in the cool kids club if you're if you're with them and that's what the media provides i think uh that's what hollywood provides and that is that is extraordinarily powerful as well 
This is the best of the Glenn Beck program. So I don't even know where to begin on this story. So I'm going to ask the guy who's involved with this story to uh, start us off. Ben Dominich, he's the co-founder of The Federalist, uh, the podcast host of The Federalist Radio Hour. And uh, we want to talk about Google attempting to demonetize his website, The Federalist. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm good. In fact, I am talking to you wearing my Tacovas right now. So I did not. Are you really? <laughs> yes, I really am wearing them. <laughs> They're really great boots, aren't they? <laughs> they really are. They're great. They're wonderful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what isn't wonderful is uh, is uh, big tech and their uh, animosity towards anyone who conflicts with the narrative. Uh, capitalize it, uh, and uh, and in this case. It really does look like NBC News, uh, irritated perhaps at our coverage of their uh, really, uh, I think, you know, terrible behavior over the last several couple of years, not just, you know, uh, hiding the truth about Matt Lauer and, and Harvey Weinstein, but also, of course, their activity when it comes to the Russia collusion hoax and uh, and uh, more recently, they're pretending that uh, these riots and violence playing out across America were in no way connected to uh, the protests, they uh, <laughs> attempted to come after us. And I think that they, they really screwed up, Glenn, in a way that, that is backfiring. Uh, I know for a fact that the, the top flight uh, lobbyists at Google have been very active over the last 24 hours trying to prevent a crackdown from Capitol Hill. And I think that we're going to continue to see uh, this story play out over the coming uh, weeks and, and, and months, even uh, in terms of questions about what Google did, what they were intending to do. And, you know, Glenn, it's a, it's a real canary in the coal mine moment of, of waking it up is. To the reality that these tech companies are going to come for all of us and they are going to do so in ways that uh, that really go after anyone who questions uh, the narrative that they have about the world that we live in and the country that we love. Ben, I tell you, I am uh, preparing for the day that you, the only way to reach me will be to go and type in the address glenbeck.com or theblaze.com. 100%. And even that is sketchy. That they will, there will be no social media. They, we will be demonetized everywhere. Um, and, and I think that day, Ben, could happen, uh, a lot faster than we, we think. Look how much change has come in, uh, just the last, what, eight weeks. We're an entirely different country. Uh, talking about you things know, that we wouldn't even thought rational eight months ago, six months ago. <laughs> You know, Glenn, I uh, I look across this country and I believe that we're in very much a cultural civil war. And uh, I mean, as you know, uh, my wife, Baby McCain, is, is the only uh, pro-life, pro-gun woman employed by um, any uh, main channel other than Fox News uh, that is allowed on TV during the daytime. And I don't I don't speak for her, but she has been really woken up by everything that we've gone through in these past several weeks. And she has asked me repeatedly, you know, uh, what do you think this looks like? What do you think this is? Where do you think this is going? Do you think it's going to even be possible to be someone who is pro-life or pro-gun on TV no. outside no. outside of, of these institutions? And I've just told her, no, I don't think so. I think that we are headed towards a moment where you have to have the total institutional support of something that you've built, Glenn, or that I've built in the Federalist, or that others have, have built that can be behind you 100%, because otherwise they will take you down, they will demonetize you, they will make it impossible to do your job because they hate you. And it's, I mean, <laughs> we, we would like to have a situation where we could have a negotiation, where we could have a debate, where we could have a back and forth. I mean, that's what we love as, as Americans who like debate, and I know you love it, Glenn, Right. But that's not possible with a mob that wants to destroy you, that wants to erase you, that does not believe you should be allowed any platform for your ideas if they conflict with the narrative. So tell me what you think here about the NBC News. Um, I don't even know what she was, a researcher or a reporter. Uh, <laughs> new from uh, at NBCVC, 
thanks to uh, FS Fake News and CCD Hate for their hard work and collaboration. And what she was uh, saluting was the fact that you and Zero Head would no longer be able to generate revenue from any advertisements served by Google Ads. Who is this person? Well, Go first ahead. off, I've never heard of this person before. She's a London-based uh, journalist, and I do put that in quotes mm-hmm. uh, because I, I, I don't believe that she was acting as a journalist here. She was clearly no, she's as an a, activist. And, she was an trying activist, to clearly. do Yes, and, and you're working yeah. with a, a small leftist organization in the U.K. that attempted to come after us. And, Glenn, here's, here's where I think they screwed up. Here's the mistake they made. I think that the gap of knowledge in between, uh, you know, across the pond between America and the UK meant that they yeah. assumed we were some irrelevant blog that they could frame as being racist or un, uh, unacceptable. Uh, when in reality, as you know, uh, you know, we are well-connected, well-respected in terms of the, the world of Washington, yes. in terms of our coverage uh, with people like Molly Hemingway and, and Sean Davis and others. And so we had members of Congress and, and senators reaching out to us immediately. Ted Cruz sent a letter this morning uh, demanding uh, to have some clarity from Google about what's going on. Uh, Josh Hawley, Tom Cotton, and Marco Rubio are, are introducing legislation to crack down on, on Google this morning. I think that this is a moment where we are going to have to come to grips with the fact that these are the most powerful entities controlling, as you said, an enormous percentage of the ad revenue uh, an enormous percentage of the conversation. They are media companies, and they should be. They are the as no, they, yes, they are the public square now. This is yeah. the public square, and they control all of it. And they said that th- their problem was with you. It's not any of your reporting. It was some of the comments made <laughs> by people reading, which I want to know: Have they demonetized YouTube? Have they demonetized Facebook or Twitter? Because, oh my God, uh, Glenn, those are the most toxic common uh, fields that you can ex- find. And, and I'll, and I'll exactly that, right. We, we, we took our, we took our comment section down for the moment, uh, because of this demonetization threat. Comments will be back. I am not going to let them bully us out of having those. For, personally, I don't really wade into comments. I think that they're a little crazy, but you know, people blow off some steam there. But my attitude is, we should not have a situation where only people who are advocating for, again, a questioning of their narrative, this leftist narrative about what we're going through, they're the ones who have to respond for their comments. Not the New York Times, not the Washington Post, not Mediate, not YouTube, not any of these other places that they are perfectly comfortable with, Glenn. And, and to me, this is a sign of how they will utilize their lackadaisical approach to rules where they just say, oh, well, but, you know, if you are center right, then we're going to go down chapter and verse. We're going to look through all these rules to find a way to screw you, to come after you. Okay. But if you are on the right side of the narrative, oh, that's fine. That's just, you know, that's just debate. We're letting that happen among your users. It's ridiculous, Glenn. It can't be allowed to continue. And as you said, they have a monopoly on the public square at this point. It's as, it's as if you had big paper, you know, to, like the inability yeah. to, to yeah. print anything other than what they allow. Right. So um, the organization that went after you uh, was uh, started by Amrad, uh, uh, Amrad, uh, ah, Imran uh, Ahmed. I have no idea. Gosh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway. Yeah, he's a trustee of victim support, which sounds wonderful, sits on the steering committee for the Commission of Countering Extremism, the pilot task force there in London. And that's wonderful. He also authored the book New the New Serfdom, the Triumph of Conservative Ideas and How to Defeat Them. Uh, he wrote that with a Labor uh, Party MP, also a political advisor uh, to the Labor Party. Um, they also have big high profile, uh, supporters such as the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, who is not an extremist at, at, at all. Um, you, you have, uh, one of the secretary of, of the labor party. 
you have uh, several Labor Party activists, former speechwriter for Gordon Brown. This is a far, far left organization. I'm wondering where they get their money, but it sounds to me uh, as if uh, this is a London version of Media Matters that uh, is doing exactly the same thing, and they're hammering places like Google, and Google is listening to them. I mean, one of the things that we have to be mindful of here, Glenn, is that you know these big tech companies, as as many smart people as they employ, they're not very bright when it comes to these political uh, matters. And in this case, I think that they were easily manipulated by a bunch of lefties who decided to, uh, you know, in mass uh, report a bunch of our comments uh, or or other content that we that we had, and, and basically say, why are you? Why do you have any ads on this site? Now, I will say uh, Google Ads is not our primary source of revenue, thank Lord. And uh, so, you know, even if we had lost them, we would be fine. But it's uh, the sort of thing where it's more about the the, the branding involved of, of saying, you know, oh, yeah. we, we're going to brand these folks as, as unacceptable for, for any ads to run. And the left understands how to manipulate this scenario. They understand how to go into these uh, these ad uh, components, these uh, communications shops, and uh, put some things in front of them and say, why are you running ads uh, on mm-hmm. this person's site or that person's site? And mm-hmm. from my perspective, the real situation here is we have the resources to fight back, but others do not. There are tons of people out there, you know, small businesses and, and small blogs and, and, and individuals, professors and the like, who could be demonetized by this, and they would not have the ability to get on the phone with Ted Cruz and say, we're going to fight back. And, and that's the thing that I think we have to be really concerned about, because that's going to continue. The left no longer believes in free speech. They have ditched the old values of the ACLU. They have ditched the, the Bill Maher, the Howard Stern of the 1990s. They have thrown them aside. They want to do <laughs> They're coming after Howard Stern. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. It's insane. Ben, thank you so much. And and anything that we can do to support you guys at The Federalist, we're all in this boat together. You just let us know, Ben. We stand behind you 100%. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. I truly appreciate it. God bless you.